This episode was produced in partnership with Kin Fertility. You don't think that you've just been diagnosed with cancer and you're going to be able to have a baby. Like, that's just not possible, right? You know, if this baby was strong enough to survive in my body, which was currently battling blood cancer, I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt. So far, you have overcome every bad day that you've had. You've got a 100% success rate. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has been experiencing a lot of ups and downs with the uncertainty and chaos of this year so far, and I can't think of anyone better to give us some perspective and guidance on getting through adversity than the divine Elle Halliwell. Hers is a story I can never hear too many times that brings forth every ounce of emotion I have in admiration and awe, and I'm so grateful she has shared it again today for The Neighbourhood. Elle began in the world of journalism, applying her incredible work ethic to climbing from making coffees to becoming a fashion editor at the Sunday Telegraph at just 21. She worked herself to the bone for almost a decade until just after her 30th birthday, when her and her husband started to think about having children. In the course of some preparatory blood tests, despite having no symptoms, Elle was diagnosed with a rare form of incurable leukaemia. And within the same 48-hour period, she also discovered that she was pregnant, leaving her with an impossible and unimaginable choice to terminate and pursue treatment or continue with her pregnancy but risk not making it through. Rest assured, Elle's story has a very happy and heartwarming ending. Her beautiful boy Tor is now three and Elle is absolutely thriving with a glow that belies what she's been through. She has since completely changed her life and direction and has also just started her first business, Oracle, which you'll hear all about shortly. Elle speaks so eloquently about what her experience has taught her about uncertainty, self-belief and strength, and I think we can all take so many lessons from her wisdom. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did. Lovely Elle, welcome to Seize the Yay. I'm so, so excited to see your beautiful face. I'm so excited to be on this. I am so obsessed with Seize the Yay, and so this is like a bit of a bucket list being ticked off. So thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, stop it. I can't believe it took me so long to have you on. Like I I don't know, I guess I've fallen into that pattern of like things go on my to-do list and then I just forget about them. And then like a year later, I'm like, oh, remember that thing that I was going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Today is the right time, right? It's how it was supposed to be. Totally. And I feel like your story, your way TA and everything, all the incredible lessons that I'm sure you've pulled out about agility and resilience and strength and power are probably more relevant to us all now than they ever have been. So it has worked out absolutely perfectly. Absolutely. Before we kick off, I always start with an icebreaker, as you know, of asking everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them. But before that, I I think we've all been through a a really crazy couple of months and and a, a crazy 2020. And I think one of the most important things to ask each other is just how are you? So how are you going? How has it been? How are you feeling? What has ISO been like? Um, Look, I'm a total ISO convert. I've always been a little bit of a homebody. And so this was like the perfect excuse to kind of, I didn't have to say no to anything because I just wasn't asked. So (laughs) (laughs) that's really bad, isn't it? Not at um, all. (laughs) I have to apologize as well, a bit of a disclaimer that I am probably going to cough quite a bit during this interview. I do not have COVID-19. I swear I've had the test. I have a three-year-old at daycare and I have the immune system of a 90-year-old. So (laughs) actually, no, scrap that. I have the immune system of a cancer patient, like legit. So I'm going to cough throughout the thing. So apologies, everyone. I swear, oh, I feel- like, I've had the swab, it's awful, and I'm, I'm not contagious, okay? I oh, my gosh. I, I, 
You're that person who's actually allowed to say I have the immunity of a cancer patient because, you know, <laughs> you're like, I've been there um, and <laughs> I'm allowed to say it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm sure we can all absolutely excuse your coughing. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you've done the test. I've heard it. It's quite invasive. Yeah. It, it's funny did you do the drive-by thing? Yes, because I'm in Bondi and me and my husband, we, we both kind of came down with this lurgy with my son going to, back to daycare. And um, we were like, oh, let's do the drive-by. That didn't look like there were many people. And so we're sitting in the car and the lady comes and gets our details and she goes, oh, and by the way, you can't leave the house until you get your test results, which could be up to three days. And me and my husband just looked at each other and we're like, fuck. Like, oh, I, I'm sorry for swearing. Oh, absolutely but welcome. we were like, we haven't done the shopping. We had all of these things planned. And so we had to literally sit in the car and like cancel all our plans. But luckily we were negative and so... Yeah, they said they'll call us if it's positive and so we're sitting by the phones going, we're sweating bullets. <laughs> but no, we were given the all clear, just your, your average winter lurgy, which was good. Oh, I mean, I think I feel like anyone who has kids, that's such a side effect of them going to daycare is that they'll bring home everything that's going around society and you'll get every single one of those ailments <laughs> until... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I've been sick for about three years in a row. <laughs> I mean, it's a great time, right? And I'm sure we'll hear all about it if anyone's resilient. Yeah, in the face of challenge and adversity and having to slow down, I think you you will have some wonderful, wonderful learnings for us. But before we kick off, let's do the icebreaker. I mean, I think you've already shared a lot of things that are down to earth about you, but what's one of the most normal, relatable things about you other than your cat called the chairman, who's just an asshole? <laughs> Yeah, my little dictator mate who's um, currently being picked on by the minor birds out, out, outside our window. It's Yeah, he's getting a little bit of his own medicine. But um, look, I don't know, aside from the fact that like I've got this terrible cough, I've also brought a little friend with me. I don't know if you can see him. Big fat cold sore. Gavin. Side of my face. Isn't that great? Well, good on <laughs> a minute. Cracks again. Don't know how much more down to earth and uh, real you can get there, right? I know. It's like when you know you're going on video and you're like, oh, my God, why did you have to show up on my face today? The week we're out of lockdown, boom, up he appears. Yeah. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I've just I've decided like to make the most of those situations. You just got to be able to laugh at yourself. So I just give them names. I'm like, well, this is Gavin. That's Keith. They've all got to have names. You've just got to celebrate them while they're there. You know. Yeah, and hopefully they'll go away faster if they if they're acknowledged if they're given a if they feel love. Yeah, yeah. a bit of love. All right. Well, the very first section is called Your Way to Yay. And I think you have one of the most heart wrenching roller coaster, but beautiful, uplifting stories that continues to inspire me every time I hear it. If there's ever a message of positivity and strength, it's from you. So tell us the story, but take us all the way back. Start from the very beginning from young Elle. What were you like as a child? What did you think you wanted to be? I kind of think that, you know, one of the things I always say about people's way TA is that they're never linear. You never know what chapter is going to come next. And your story really highlights that you really just do never know what's going to come next, what's going to come your way and what it's going to require of you to move through it. But I'd love to hear about it all from your perspective. But first, yeah, take us back to the childhood. Was it always, <gasps> were you always a writer? How did you choose it's, journalism? It's funny because I feel like I've done a complete 360. So, you know, as a kid, I loved nature. I loved art and drawing and creativity. I loved being in nature. I was a very soft child. My parents hardly heard a peep from me. My dad actually left me at home when I was about two and a half. <laughs> thinking I'd gone out with my mum shopping and my mum got home and my dad wasn't there. And I walked down the stairs. I was like, hi, mummy. She's like, oh, where's your dad? I was like, he went out. She's like, oh, right. So she called and she's like, um, you know that you left your two-and-a-half-year-old daughter at home. And he's like, how was I supposed to know she was there? She's so bloody quiet. He'd been out for about three hours and I'd just been in my room playing. So <laughs> I was a very quiet, well-behaved child, which is very different to my own child who is a complete tearing around boy. That's been a bit of a, an interesting journey for me. Yeah. Back to my youth. <laughs> I always loved reading and writing. I was a massive reader as a child. And one day when I was kind of in my early teens, my dad said, 
I don't know, we got on the conversation. She's like, why don't you be a journalist? And I, I kind of hadn't really entertained that thought, didn't really know much about it. And so I started to look into it more and it kind of just planted the seed. And after that, I really, really wanted to be a journalist. I didn't know if I wanted to be a photographic journalist or a print journalist. So I went to Maclay College and got my journalism diploma. And then I went pretty much straight into um, getting coffees for the editor at the Sunday Telegraph. And <laughs> <laughs> Worked my way up from there. Like literally I was the, the shit kicker, but I did it really well. You know, they never had a cold coffee. They always got toast if they wanted to, never forgot an order, always had their papers on their desk from the moment they arrived. I was a bloody hard worker and I reckon that's why probably about a year into my time at the telly or maybe a year and a half, I, I literally got in my cadetship about four months earlier and I, I was really interested in fashion. I really loved fashion and there's that old adage, you know, dress for the job that you want, not the job you have. And so I always made sure that I made a real effort when I walked in every morning, you know, to work and one day the deputy editor calls me into, into um, her office and she sits me down and kind of offhandedly she says look the fashion editor of the telly has had to leave and um, we don't have anyone to replace us so we're going to give you the job oh my god and I was literally still a cadet and I couldn't believe my luck I kind of quietly nodded my head and just eased out of the chair and backed away really slowly in case she kind of went gotcha that was exactly what I thought she was going to say because I was like this is absolutely not not right she's like look just for a few months we'll you know well, I'm um, probably get someone after that, but if you can just do it for the moment. And so I made it my mission. I was like, no one's going to take this job from me. I'm going to do such a good job that they're going to forget that they were going to find someone else. And I mean, looking back, some of my first columns were just terrible, like so bad. <laughs> but I think everyone thinks, you know, their work in their early days is always going to be terrible, isn't it? I always think if you don't cringe at your first goes at things then you weren't really having a good go at all (laughs) it's so true oh my god my early bylines for the paper were so funny I thought that I had to be really kind of serious and really stylish so I I decided I'd dye my hair like a kind of brownie red got a fringe and (laughs) no way I am totally going to unearth those for the purposes of this episode (laughs) to remind everyone how far you've come (laughs) please please do it's it's definitely worth a laugh Um, And look, since then, after that, I just knew that, I guess that gave me a bit of a taste of the realisation that, you know, if you work hard and you really want to achieve something, then you can achieve it with hard work and determination. And I also had a dream board that I had beside my bed when I first started at the paper that had all of the the headshots of all of the people in the entertainment section, the entertainment and fashion and lifestyle section. And every time I woke up in the morning, I'd look at the board and I'd be like, and I put my face next to all of theirs so it looked like my head was on the back page and (laughs) I love that so much so many cringy things are coming up right now but honestly and so I've always kind of been of the mindset that if you literally wake up every morning with a a dream or a goal eventually it will it will happen and I think that's just because subconsciously even though you you might wonder if you're like consciously going for it or not it's always in the back of your mind I think you make decisions based on that which ends up steering you towards your your goals absolutely I think that's such a good reminder that you don't necessarily even have to know what that goal looks like or that you know it doesn't have to be a tangible job you can apply for the positions open with xyz criteria it just has to be a vague belief that something exciting can come out of your hard work somewhere down the line. And I think this reminds me as well that I started my career with a view that pathways had to be very delineated and very clear and logical. And and there has to be an obvious way that you apply for things and climb a ladder. But you realize more and more hearing stories like yours that really, you know, there's no proper way to fall into the thing you love. There's no like logical steps that you take. It could be just being a shit kicker and making amazing coffees and just being there. You have to be in people's minds. You have to have put yourself out there for whatever it might be without even knowing what you're putting yourself out there for. So true. And I I love that quote. I can't actually remember how it's worded, but there's one about the fact that opportunity is there, but it has to find you working. And I think that's exactly what happened to you. You were sort of your mind wasn't closed off to anything. It was focused but not too focused that it excluded what the opportunity might look like and how randomly it might hit you. And as, But it found you working hard. It found you doing even the coffees as good as you could do it because you're like, I'm just going to position myself the best that I can. And look what happens when you do that. So true. It is, yeah, I absolutely believe that. But I also 
one kind of word of caution, I guess, is that you've really got to choose your dreams wisely. And I think that when we're really young, I think it's so much easier to be swayed by external forces. And for me, that I really feel like that was definitely what happened to me. I started to make choices based on what I thought other people would believe was the right thing or something that they would think was cool or a good move or would make me seem in their eyes more important or cooler or more validated. And so I think that, you know, pursuing a career in kind of entertainment for those 10 years, looking back, I kind of think that maybe it wasn't the right path for me. I mean, I suffered from really terrible chronic anxiety for that whole decade. I I was overworked. I didn't prioritise my family or my friends. I was burnt out constantly. I kept getting sick every time I went on holidays. I get so ill because my immune system was just constantly, you know, I was running away from imaginary lines all the time because my nature just wasn't built for that kind of tough, hardcore print journalism, you know, chasing people down the street and all of those kind of things like <laughs> there were some pretty interesting moments I have to say like because I ended up doing um, a, a lot of kind of celebrity and, and entertainment news after that and it, you know I guess at the peak of that part of my career I was juggling a, a Sunday spot on the Today Show I had a um, Sunday evening radio show on Nova and I was doing full-time at the telly you know working 12-14 hour days and it was just unsustainable and it all kind of came crashing to a major halt um, just after I turned 30. Mm. And I think you would obviously never wish for it to have come to a halt that way, just like I think a lot of us in this pandemic would not wish that the lessons we're learning now would have been learnt the way that they have been learnt. But then also there's always a silver lining that you can pull out of these. And I think it's interesting that you spent a whole decade of your life climbing a ladder passionately and with so much what objectively would have looked like success and fulfilment and glamour. And then sometimes when you get to the goals you thought you had, you realise they actually aren't all that. And that's probably a sign that it's time for a really big pivot and redirection because it doesn't really matter if other people think you're doing well if you wake up every day in this low-level, constant, chronic anxiety, illness, burnt out state. Like what's the point if that's what it costs you? You know, I always think if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. But if it costs you your vitality, it's too expensive. It doesn't really matter what other people think of where you are. So that was, I mean, almost bang on a decade from graduating to the big diagnosis in 2016 and with no symptoms. Yeah. So tell us sort of how that roller coaster just hit you or the kind of hurricane that just uprooted everything. Yeah, sure. So I, yeah, just celebrated my 30th birthday a few months beforehand and I had married my husband about four years earlier and we kind of thought, or in my mind, I was like, you know, 30 sounds like a good age to start a family, maybe 31. And so, you know, I started to kind of plan to start planning for a baby. And so I went to my GP, I'd had a, about a gastro and I needed a, a doctor's certificate from, from the doctor. And so I went in there and he's, he's a good friend of mine. And I, I asked him to get some blood tests while I was there to check my folate and my vitamin D because I wanted to make sure that that was all, all good. I wanted to kind of give myself about a six-month six buffer before we started trying. And so I got my test back um, and the vitamin D and folate were fine, but I had high platelets. And my doctor said, look, it's probably nothing. It's probably from the virus. Come back in two weeks' time. We'll retest you. So got retested. Rather than my platelets reducing, they'd actually gone up even further. And so he said, look, because he knows I'm a total hypochondriac and he, he could just see like the clock ticking going. <laughs> and I was like that to Google. I'm going to Google this. He's like, yeah. don't worry. It's probably nothing. You could, the worst thing is you probably got something called like thrombocytopenia, which is just an abnormal platelet count. And he goes, but I'm going to refer you to a hematologist just to kind of rule out anything and, you know, calm you down. So that took like five weeks to get an appointment. So it was oh you know, in between gosh. then. I know it was long. So um, I had fashion week coming up. I was, you know, running around like a crazy person. Didn't really think too much about it. Went to the hemo on a Wednesday, got my blood test in my lunch break, ran back to work. Of course you and did. Then, of course. You know, I literally nearly passed out on the way back to work because I had like four coffees. I was like, <laughs> had like 18 vials of blood taken. Seriously, I, I probably should have eaten something before. Just a disclaimer, if you're going to get tested for like some kind of weird blood thing, 
get yeah. some food before. Anyway, I, they said, look, we'll call you in three weeks. That's when we'll get the results. See you later. So the next day I get into work. It's like nine o'clock. And I look at my phone, I've had a missed call. It was the hematologist, uh, that, his office. And this lady answered and she's like, oh, Miss Halliwell, hi. It's, um, I don't know, Margaret. I don't remember what her name was. I thought I'd left my sonnies there or something. So I was like, this is really soon. She goes, look, um, we've managed to get your test results early. So we're going to need you to come in first thing on Monday morning and bring a loved one. And yeah, you don't get told to go to the doctors with a loved one if it's... Um, it was really quite a blow and I was like, whoa, this is a lot more serious than I thought it was. And so I, you know, had a complete breakdown in the office and went home and I called my husband on the way home and he, he said, um, well, we're not going to wait four bloody days to find out. Like, that is ridiculous. Why would you call up on a, a, you know, a Thursday morning and say, look, your life could be ending, but come on Monday, you know, have the whole weekend to sweat it out. Thanks. Yeah, just, you know, have a great chilling R&R <laughs> this weekend, you know, just enjoy yourself. Seriously, like, Margaret, you're a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking Margaret, what an yeah. asshole! Like, your cat should be called Margaret, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get another one. Um, yeah, so anyway, I, I was, like, really devastated. And um, so my husband called up our GP and said, look, can you figure out what's going on? Because we're not going to wait until then. Mm to know anyway he managed to get him to find out and later that night he came over to our house and he sat us down and he said look it's um it's pretty bad he said you've got leukemia ill and I just like I couldn't believe it I mean I I thought something was bad but I didn't think it was that bad you know and I think that when someone mentions the word leukemia you know well my first thought was of someone lying on a hospital bed close to death and I think my husband did too and I just remember like sobbing for an hour just in my husband's arms and we we were just devastated because we were literally about to plan the next stage of our lives and then that stage may not happen you know I might not have another stage of my life and um yeah it was really it was so hard to hear, but I think one of the harder things is having to tell your family and friends because it's like a mirror of your own emotions. You know, you just see them break down in front of you and it, it's just another, another blow, another reminder of what, what I was facing. So um, that was a really, really difficult 24, 48 hours. Um, but then on the Saturday, which was two days after I found out about the, the leukaemia, I was lying on the couch and remembered that I'd actually bought a two-pack of pregnancy tests. And I'd I'd had a pregnancy test two weeks before because we went out with some friends and I I wanted to have a drink, but we hadn't been so careful a couple of weeks before and I just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I wasn't (laughs) before I had a couple. And so I took the test and it was negative. So I thought, okay, no problem, but bought a two-pack and I thought, look, what, could be worse than the situation I'm in. And I thought, hmm, that could be worse. So I went and took the pregnancy test and I was four weeks pregnant. Oh, my God. And that just created a whole new level of difficulty and angst and devastation because, I mean, for me, you don't think that you've just been diagnosed with cancer and you're going to be able to have a baby. Like that's just not possible, right? And, um, yeah, so then on the Monday when we finally met up with our haematologist, we basically had to give him news rather than him giving us news because, surprise, we're having a baby. And he basically gave us a choice and that was that I could terminate the pregnancy and then go on fertility treatment before starting treatment, Mm. which seemed really messed up in my head. And that was what he strongly suggested. He's like, look, you're my patient your life is, you know, of utmost importance to me and I want to make sure that you live. And so with this treatment, you can't, you can't be pregnant while you're on this treatment. And um, it's really important that we get you on it as soon as possible because that offers the best outcome. But your other choice is to, to keep the baby and, um, you know, we'll cross our fingers and we'll just have to ride it out and wait and see what happens. And that was a pretty scary thing. And I think that, you know, I've always been a, pretty respectful of authority and my instant thought was what you know whatever you think and my husband's like whoa 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 (laughs) let's just 
take a step back here. And he's always said about everything. He's like, look, if there's, if you feel like you're put on the spot, always just say, we'll come back to you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll circle back to the issue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because we'll get back to you on that. And I was like, (laughs) and so we get home and like, I'm, I'm just devastated. I've just been through like the hardest things you could ever go through to, you know, in a, two in a row in 48 hours. And so he starts researching on the internet and we um, managed to find another expert in South Australia and we, we decided to go down and get a second opinion. And um, it was kind of through him to talk, you know, through talking with him that we kind of thought, you know what, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can have this baby. And for me, I kind of was of the, the mindset that, you know, if this baby was strong enough to survive in my body, which was currently battling blood cancer, I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt yeah in my mind you know and and I felt like when we when I finally made the decision that I was going to keep this baby and do whatever I could to to make sure that we both survived I kind of realized that I knew what I decided literally from the moment that I saw that pregnancy test yeah that this baby was going to to pull through and I was going to pull through so it kind of just started a very stressful but incredible eight month journey um throughout this this pregnancy and oh my gosh I'm really happy to say that it has a happy ending and I have a beautiful three and a half year old little boy who is perfectly healthy and incredibly energetic and just the the love of my life oh Elle it's just so so beautiful and I mean I, I know the story I've heard it so many times and I'm just still every time a combination of goosebumps or tears just disbelief at the sheer strength of you to get through the delivery of that news that 48 hour period the best news of your life also coming at a time where it's sort of also kind of the worst news of your life it's just I no person I don't think can imagine what that felt like for you until unless they have had that same situation themselves to go from everything is going rosy. I mean, you know, you've got some problems, we all do, but, you know, your biggest problem is sort of I'm a bit tired or I've got a cold to no symptoms, totally out of the blue, the shock of I have a cancer that, you know, before 2001 had a, had a five-year survival rate, like incredibly overwhelmingly scary statistics, but also then the, the prospect of a child and yeah I just I want to give you the biggest hug right now I'm so sad we're not together because I every time I see you just even you know how you are now just full of energy and vitality it just warms my heart you're such a picture of strength oh thank you it yeah it really it's funny I think that so many of us we totally underestimate the strength that we have until you know we're, we're faced with something that kind of means that we have to tap into this strength Um, And so that's what I always say to people is that you can handle so much more than you think you can, Mm. but hopefully you won't ever have to face that. But if you do, just know that you will get through it. Like us humans are just, we're incredible. We adapt, we survive, Mm. we thrive. And I also, I, I love that the study that they did on happiness where they had someone who had won the lottery and someone who'd become a paraplegic and they measured their levels of happiness one year on and their levels had pretty much returned to their baseline happiness point. And I think that it just shows how, you know, throughout our highs and our lows, we always, we get through it. And so that's why I really believe in celebrating the little moments in between because that's what makes a a life. And, you know, yes, we're going to have highs and we're going to have lows, but, you know, hopefully they come fewer and far between. But if we celebrate the little moments, then I think that it adds up to a really enriching life. Absolutely. I think that's such a good reminder of the role of, yeah, positivity and hope, even in circumstances where for pretty much the entire pregnancy, because you're effectively refusing your treatment during that time and trying to grow a human from scratch while you know your body's, you know, not being its own best friend. If you had given up on hope and positivity and the smaller moments, then you would have spent nine, 10, 12 months in absolute desperation and agony and you know the time's going to pass anyway so it's sort of like what's the best that you can make of that time while you're in it because you, you're going to be around so you might as well you know find those moments of hope in between and I I truly believe that we have only just tapped into the power of the mind over the body and that having an outlook of 
hope and possibility and true belief that you'll get there probably did really contribute to the fact that you did. 100%. Like I think your cells are listening to what your brain is saying. Yeah. And it's funny because I completely changed how I saw life. Like the filters that I had on my life were just completely taken away and life felt like it was, I was seeing it in technicolor for the first time Mm. because I was just so more, I was so much more present and I didn't realize, I never really understood what mindfulness was until, until I got, got sick because I couldn't predict the future. I didn't know if I was going to be around for the future. And I'd spent my entire twenties planning and striving for that one moment when I get to a point and go, yes, I've done it. I've, I've won. My life's going to be perfect from now on. Like this is, you know, if I've ticked those boxes, life's going to be perfect. And so I'm just going to keep thinking about that and planning ahead and, you know, missing all of the, the kind of the climb. Um, Thanks, Miley Cyrus. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's so true. And then when, when I realized that this could be it, you know, I didn't know how far at this point, like my, my cancer had progressed. I didn't know enough about the illness that I had to kind of be able to plan for the future. Mm. I was living in the moment moment to moment and I was you know appreciating every little thing in my life like you know I'd sit down and I'd properly eat a meal and I'd enjoy it and I'd go for a walk and I'd be seeing you know what I was seeing on the walk I wasn't just kind of wandering around with my head down trying to kind of do my to-do lists and things like that and it was just like my anxiety disappeared isn't that so and interesting? And I was really surprised because, you know, it was one of the, the worst things that can happen to you in your life. How could you not be anxious and stressed out? But because I was no longer anticipating and worrying about the future, anxiety just poof, disappeared. And it's funny that like it was about a, maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, that for me life kind of reached some sort of normalcy again. And that's when the little anxiety started to creep back because I'd stopped automatically practicing mindfulness. So I had to learn all of these tools to recreate that same kind of feeling in that same situation. And now, I, I, you know, it's something I have to do all the time is to keep my, my mind in that, in that present moment. And it's a lot harder. But now that I have the tools to do it, yeah, it's incredible. Oh, gosh. A quick word on our Seize the A partner, Kin Fertility, who helped make this episode possible. You might have heard from founder Nicole a few episodes back, but if not, you know we love industry disruptors who help make our lives easier and Kin is changing the game in fertility and women's health. Kin offers, among other things, Australia's first subscription service to the contraceptive pill, connecting women to qualified Australian doctors online to ditch the in-person appointments and long waiting room stints without compromising on quality healthcare. It's easy. Go on to Kin and do your online health questionnaire to start your text-based consult with a doctor. Then put your feet up. Kin will handle the rest. Your pill will get delivered to your door in a couple of days. They offer over 30 brands, flexible delivery schedules and are changing women's lives all over Australia. Your reproductive health in your control. Head to kinfertility.com.au to find out more. It's so interesting. I did a a speaking gig yesterday and one of the questions I got asked was that it seems that a lot of people who are sort of seizing their yay and have had this big defining moment that where they've pivoted and really changed their whole outlook is that it's almost like you have to go through a trauma or some kind of big breakdown or crash physically or mentally to have those realizations. And and she asked, you know, I haven't had one like that. Do you think I have to go through a trauma or a health event to sort of earn my right to yay? And it's it was such an interesting question because I was like, you're right. It is out of the greatest adversity that people tend to emerge with these lessons. And it's hard to learn those lessons in the abstract, but I hope that these kind of conversations do allow people to develop the tools without having to go through this situation themselves and, and see the, the takeaways that you've had and, and start to integrate them into their life because you shouldn't need a big event to be able to have these, these realisations. But I also feel like we can create them in a, in a safe way, setting ourselves challenges yeah. that we might never have thought that we could achieve, you know, things that, I don't know, might be, have been out of the realm of your possibility, something that you really have to kind of to strive and work for and 
something that might pose some real lows. I think that if we can kind of recreate things like that, then then we can kind of almost get those same results but also achieve something out of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's the message I did really want to sort of instill in her that even though, yes, it is alarmingly common that it has taken something big for people to stop in their tracks, that if anything, it just shows how pervasive the go, go, go lifestyle actually is, that it does take something so drastic to stop you. But if you can see the light without that, amazing please go yeah. ahead and and, and, and look, it could be as easy as something like taking the leap and you know pursuing a passion that has scared you before or you know going on an adventure to somewhere that you know you kind of had never really thought to go and mm. maybe without planning your hotels and things like that and doing it on a whim I don't know something that scares the crap out of you but something that you know if you overcome it then you can really become so much stronger yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned before that it's, you know, around two years ago, you'd sort of brought yourself back to normalcy. And I imagine that from this incredibly just traumatizing and indescribable choice that you've actually captured in a book, you know, in 2017, A Mother's Choice, talk us through, you know, everything from that moment to being able to rebuild back to a life where you can still feel energetic and you know when did you resume your treatment what was it like coming back into the world with tour and then becoming a mother like how is everything from that rock bottom moment upwards been and and how did you how did you build yourself back up and back through yeah. those incredible yeah strenuous and uncertain times so i gave birth to tour um, on the 13th of december um the end of 2016 and i had a a round of tests um, as soon as he was born and um, what it has shown is that after my my levels had spiked just before he was born they actually dropped really really low after the birth and that was such a, a kind of encouraging thing for me and so I begged and pleaded my hematologist to to let me have four weeks to breastfeed and I was able to do that which was wonderful and then um, it also kind of gave me about, you know, a little bit of a buffer just to get used to kind of new motherhood before I started this treatment. Mm. Now, the treatment, it's an oral chemo. It, it's got some pretty yucky side effects, but fortunately for me, the side effects were, weren't very nice at the beginning and it took me about four months for them, the worst ones to subside, like the rashes, bone pain, severe fatigue, the brain fog. Mm. They were pretty severe in those first few months, um, which on top of, you know, being a new mum was pretty brutal. <laughs> um, but, you know, my body just adjusted to it and I'm still on the oral chemo. And so I, I'll have moments where I'll get the bone pain or I'll just feel really fatigued. My immune system, um, as you know, is, isn't the best. And so you know, I've just had to try and change my my lifestyle to, to make sure that I'm, you know, it's clean and it's natural. And so, you know, I can kind of, I guess, make up for the fact that I'm still on this treatment. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I feel pretty good most of the time, which is awesome. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was really interesting um, after I, I got back from mat leave and I went back to the telly. I don't know, it was a, a bit of a shock to go back because I kind of felt like, so much had happened and yet here I was back kind of at where it all began mm. but I wasn't the same person so it was kind of at that point that I realized that you know I needed to create my life to suit who I was now and I my values had been realigned you know I felt like I was living a lot more closely with who I am as a person than and kind of who I who I was back in in my 20s so it was at that point that I started to to kind of yeah, plan my next steps. And so I decided to embark on a, a naturopathy qualification, which I'm um, completing at the end of this year, which is really, really cool. So exciting. Um, You'll be a naturopath. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I, I love it. It's, I feel like a bit of a witch, like, you, you know, potions <laughs> and using herbs and, oh my gosh, it's just, it's so incredible. Like, it's amazing learning about, you know, how beautiful the synergy between you know, plants and humans are and how, you know, plants in their natural form, they, they, all of the chemicals and stuff which have been extracted to create these incredibly powerful, you know, conventional drugs, you know, 
in their plant form, they're a lot more mild, but they still have the effects, but they usually don't have as strong symptoms because they're also balanced with all of these other incredible chemicals and volatile oils and stuff, which I think protects our body. You know what I mean? And, and mm. I don't think there's as, as many um, side effects because of this kind of synergy between you know all of these chemicals it's like they do a little dance in your body and I just love it so much as you could probably I mean look at the look on your face (laughs) I love this so much you've clearly uncovered something that truly makes you yay that really ignites you and that you can tell when people's eyes start to sparkle that they're talking about something they're really really excited about and I think that just makes me so excited and invigorated to see people talking about stuff that they love what's more motivating than hearing your voice change when you when you do start talking about your new chapter and I love that idea that you know we all actually have that power to just curate your life and even without the sort of big diversion that that your life and your way TA took most people probably have had a situation in their own lives where they find themselves in an environment that suited them up to a particular point and then one day they realize actually I'm a different person but a lot of people stay there they just sit with that and they think you know I often say people won't make a change unless they're actively uncomfortable but if they're just sort of blah they'll just stay because it's comfortable and it's easier but at any point you can curate the direction that you take and it can be completely different. It can be a naturopathy degree. I mean, why not? Like, why wouldn't it be? And that's now led you to your your first business, Oracle. So you never know where these huge diversions are going to come, but if you follow what you love, they can just be so fulfilling. So tell us about how that's come about. Yeah. Oh, so um, I started to get interested in acupressure around literally the same time that I, um, I fell pregnant because I'd actually been given these really cool, they weren't very cool looking, but they were these, <laughs> these um, <laughs> wristbands. They looked like, um, like sweatbands um, and they had this little kind of plastic knob and a, a girlfriend who was an acupuncturist gave them to me for my um, first trimester nausea. And I was like, what are these? And she's like, they're acupressure bands. And it was literally the moment that I put these on, the nausea just went away. I was like, what is this thing? So I started to research a little bit more about acupressure. I've, I've always loved acupuncture. But having to go, you know, and get pricked with needles all over your body, having to sit there for half an hour, you know, while they did their magic was just kind of, it was something that I would do as a bit of a luxury every now and then. Um, But I I still really loved the benefits that I got from it. And this girlfriend of mine, she put them in um, these little seeds in my ear after an acupuncture session. I was like, what are they? And she's like, oh, they'll just kind of... They're like acupuncture. They activate certain pressure points in your body and, um, you know, just help kind of with your uh, the flow of chi throughout your body. And I was like, wow, these are awesome. And I got home and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, they're so ugly. There were these little bits of tape that were stuck that, you know, were sticking these seeds on my ear. And I was like, look, they're really effective, but they're also a bit naff looking. And I'd always try and put my hair down when I had them in. <laughs> And anyway, old fashioned editor L is like, no, no, we won't be having those in our ears. <laughs> Not do. So I came across another version of them, which were gold and silver acupressure seeds. And I was like, oh my God, I need these in my life. And so I've got some from the UK, imported some. And um, I started wearing them and I was like, what are they? And I was like, maybe I'm not the only one who thinks these are kind of cool. And <laughs> I was like, hmm. And it's funny because I'd been simmering away at this idea for a while and literally just before COVID hit, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just launch this brand. And all my MC work had dried up, all my speaking gigs had dried up by this time. The media industry is in so much flux that I was like, oh my God, I don't don't know if I'll get any riding gigs. I was like, why don't I just start this little business? I've never started a business in my life. Had no freaking idea what I was doing. All right, what do we do? So I started like ticking a few boxes. I did this founder course and I realized that, you know, I thought this, this little business might have some kind of potential. And so I launched it about two months ago and it's doing really well and it's awesome. I don't know if you can see 
I've got some in my ear, I think. Oh, yeah. They look like jewellery and they're, they're amazing. Like I, I use them for my anxiety and stress. They're really great for that. I also use them for my allergies, which is great. And I've also, you know, the COVID-5. I've uh, certainly gained the COVID-5 over the last few weeks. So I've got one just on my, on my little hunger and cravings point just here. So, yeah, look, they very much work like acupuncture and they have some really great benefits. So I'm absolutely obsessed with them. And, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, so far the feedback's been incredible, which has been really, really great. And for me, I mean, my new goal and my new mountain. So, you know, I climbed the first mountain didn't find anything I liked, didn't like the view so much. But the new mountain that I'm climbing, which I'm taking a lot more slowly, is that I just really want to, I guess, share my story and in the hope that someone else might get some comfort or some motivation or inspiration or find strength to, to overcome their own adversity and also, I guess, offer people, um, I guess, ways of healing alternatively i mean one of the the reasons that i started studying naturopathy was that you know i sat down with the hematologist and i said look i'm all for taking these drugs i'm all for taking the treatment but what can i do to make sure that my body's going to be as healthy as possible Mm -hmm. while i'm taking it you know how can i kind of counteract that is there an exercise or a you know an eating plan i should follow foods that you know extra healing and he said no just take the medicine <laughs> I just got really angry because I, I really feel in, in my heart that conventional and alternative medicine can work so beautifully together. And I'm, I'm definitely not, you know, completely of the belief that we don't need, you know, conventional medicine. I'm, I really believe that they, the two of them should work in harmony because I really feel that alternative medicine and, and naturopathy and, you know, having a good diet and making sure that our, our mind, body and spirits are in, you know, in harmony is the best way to prevent these chronic illnesses from manifesting. And I truly believe that having, you know, 10 years of chronic stress and anxiety definitely contributed to my, my poor health. Mm. And so for me, I really would love to inspire people to make sure that they're looking after themselves you know not just their their physical bodies but their minds as well you know so that they don't get to that point where it starts to manifest physically Mm. i've been tapped so many times on the shoulder and given little nudges by the universe like you know this isn't right for you and then the universe smashed me in the face with cancer so you know i'm hoping that people can kind of learn to just i guess tune into those little taps before they get smacked across the head yeah you don't want to get whacked in the head it's not pretty yeah yeah and I I so resonate with that I mean I've it's not been to quite the same degree and it hasn't been in the form of cancer but I've had chronic fatigue like for so many years and so many different forms of physical and then extreme mental burnout that's knocked me out for sort of six months at a time and I really feel like life will keep teaching you the same lesson over and over and the reason it keeps coming back more and more virulent is because you're ignoring it the first time. Like it will teach you something until you learn what you need to learn and sometimes, you know, I think we're really switched on intellectual women but never before have we been as slow on the uptake as we are with our own health. It's so crazy. And I think that's really symptomatic of the society we live in where it's wonderful that innovation and progression and kicking goals and and particularly women taking control of their careers is celebrated. That's an amazing time to be alive. But I also think the downfall and risk zone is that we continue to ignore the taps on the shoulder until it's too late. So I love that you're using your story to be a really strong advocate for the uniting of Western and Eastern medicine. I think the only way I've been able to get a grip on my own anxiety and and, um, and terrible immune system as well, like I'm constantly, adrenal fatigue just knocks you for six sort of forever, is with a combination. And I don't think you have to be a complete woo-woo Buddhist monk that doesn't use antibiotics when you need them. But you also, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can, you do nothing, you only take one. I think the middle ground is really where you get the best results and you live the happiest and, and healthiest life and and I've been lucky enough to try the ear seeds and I love, I've always loved acupuncture, but I do agree that sometimes these Eastern Eastern and sort of more alternative therapies, that they're ugly. Like they haven't caught up with like how to be cool and like how to make it really subtle that you're <laughs> gently putting something in your ear. So you've stumbled upon this wonderfully emerging and booming, I would say, gap on the market. I'm so excited that you've been able to seize it. 
Thanks. Well, if it's good enough for Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop, it's good enough for us, right? <laughs> so are we seeing the El Halliwell vagina crystal coming out soon? Like, <laughs> Look out. <laughs> All about the yoni eggs, babe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, her vagina candle, it's sold out in like 15 seconds. It's, I just, I'm, I'm desperate to smell that candle. Yeah, I mean, me too, I know that but also sick, not. But... <laughs> How do you explain to someone when they walk in and go, oh, that smells beautiful? Mm. Oh, it's uh, Gwynny's vagina. Yeah, it's, a, it's a vag, you know, just all out in the open. <laughs> <laughs> so just before we move on to the next section, I think uh, another thing that has been really impactful coming out of your journey is that people are aware of blood cancers. Like I, I think a lot of people have heard the word leukemia and couldn't describe to you what part of the body it affects. So I know you had no symptoms and I imagine other people could be in a situation where they don't have any cues to kind of go and get tested. What are the awareness points that you really want to share? Like are there ways for people to go and get checked if yeah. outside of fertility testing? Do you know if you had the condition for a long time before the testing? How do you sort of raise awareness of what we can do? Absolutely. Look, one thing that I really think is helpful is to – get a blood test every six months. Mm. Because one thing that I've learned in my studies as well is that your optimal point when it comes to your blood results isn't the same as everybody else. And there is an average. And if, you know, your blood result might be outside of that average, that's the average for, you know, the general population. Whereas you might always have slightly lower iron levels than someone else. Yeah. But you don't know you're normal if you don't get regular testing. So for me, and I, I feel really lucky that I, I, I did do this pretty much every year at least. I would get a blood test just to check what all my blood levels were because, yeah, you might kind of have a certain blood level that's normal for you and then you might get tested and go, oh, it's still in the normal range but it's a lot higher than it normally is. So maybe that's something that I need to, to look into a little bit more. So I would definitely recommend getting regular blood tests every six months, even if you're not feeling bad. Mm. I have chronic form of leukemia. And before I got it, I had no idea that there was a chronic form of leukemia. I just thought that, you know, leukemia was leukemia. Mine is called CML, chronic myeloid leukemia, and it's a slow growing form of, of um, blood cancer. Um, normally affects men in their 60s. So I feel you know, like I was. You're truly one in a million, babe. <laughs> I am. Lucky me. I did buy a couple of uh, lotto tickets, let me tell you, in those <laughs> weeks after that to no avail. But anyway. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. That's right. Got to be in it to win it. So, um, look, I've been so lucky that these these drugs that came on the market, as you said, back in 2001, they changed the game for, for people with my, my kind of blood cancer. And now, you know, there is a real chance that I'll live to a ripe old age. That said, you know, it's not curable um, without a very risky blood marrow transplant and they don't recommend people with CML get it because these these drugs are so effective. But essentially that means that, you know, I, I will be living with this illness uh, until they find a cure. And for me, you know, it might sound a little bit sad, but for me it's like a, a reminder every day that I've got cancer and this you know, who knows, who knows what the next day will bring or the next day. So it's just a gentle reminder to live every day as best that I can and to appreciate the fact that I'm here because, mm. you know, it's very, very likely that without those that treatment that I wouldn't be right now. Oh, gosh. And I think that is actually a, a lovely reminder for everyone that, I mean, we all have to confront our morbidity generally, cancer or otherwise, in some way or another at some point in our lives. And if you can sort of use it to take that presence and full appreciation of each day that you do have that's a good thing for everyone to remember uh, it, it's a great lesson to think that every day is special treat it like a gift because it truly is you actually never know what's around the corner even if you're fully healthy and have you know all the a full check of health it could be that anything could be around the corner so I think that's not a bad attitude to have no matter what that's right a bus exactly. could be around that corner but I think one of the one of the things that I really you know, really changed kind of the direction of my life after, after being diagnosed was I actually sat down and I kind of thought about my funeral and what did I want people to say at it? And I know that that sounds really morbid and something that a lot of people would be like, there's no way I'm writing, you know, my own eulogy. But trust me, if you do that, you'll either realise that you're living a life 
that you want or you're living a life that you don't want. Mm. And it was really, really confronting for me. And I realized that I was not living the life that I want wanted. I wasn't living a life in line with my values. And it was probably the biggest thing that made me change my direction in, in my life was, was doing that exercise. So if you can do it, it's um, yeah, confronting, but, but really, really incredible. And I think that's one thing I have learned as well in this whole journey is the reason there's a whole section in the podcast of the NATA is that an overall life that's fulfilling and exciting and full of joy, it has to involve confrontation of the harder, darker parts of life because that's how you get the contrast and that's how you get the dynamic range of emotions and excitement. Otherwise, it would all just be, if we were happy 100% of the time, that happy would become normal and it would just be blah. Like, how would you know? So I think, yeah, confronting those harder truths are also a really big part of finding what makes you joyful while you are here. I think it is probably a bit artificial in this episode, like in, in quite a few other episodes to have an ATA as a separate section because we've kind of just, you know, obviously discussed a lot of what the challenges are. But one that I wanted to just ask before we sort of wrap up with the play TA is I find that I have quite crippling anxiety and also adrenal fatigue is not as chronic, obviously, as blood cancer, but it does involve a constant, very delicate balance of going hard but pacing yourself. And from you coming from where I imagine you were immediately after the pregnancy and during the treatment to then being able to build back up to studying and opening a business. You know, it's hope for people who aren't very well that you can live with certain conditions and still have a really fulfilling life. But that patience with yourself and pacing yourself is probably my biggest challenge is getting frustrated that I'm like, why can't I just be as energetic as that person? Or why can't my brain just, you know, be chill? But yeah, what are some of your insights on that? patience piece of just accepting that in certain areas I have to go slower than others but I can still live a really fulfilling life around my condition yeah that was something that I've I've had to to really learn from um and I I, but look I guess I don't know if this is a good thing but I notice pretty quickly if I'm burning the candle at both ends my body will like literally hit me for six and I'll come down with either some kind of illness or I'll you know get such severe brain fog like I can't remember my mum's maiden name or you know I'll just literally not be able to get out of bed so um, I realize at that point I go all right switching off I just need to rest I think that having a great team around you of family or friends people who understand and can kind of go you know what you need to rest what can I do so if you have a friend who you know might be struggling with something whether it's a a mental illness or you know a chronic illness that you know other people might not see um, but who they might have confided in you with then Mm. I think that you know as a friend the best thing that you can do is just to kind of I guess be tuned into that and and you know offer support you know, even if it's just a kind ear that's non-judgmental, that's just em- empathetic, um, is, you know, such an important thing to do. But I, I really have learnt the importance of leaning out sometimes. And while it is a little bit tricky, it, it really is so important for our health because nowadays, you know, modern life, like I don't think our bodies have really adapted to it properly. And I think that if we continue to, to push our bodies in the way that we are, like no wonder there's so much chronic illness at the moment and chronic anxiety and stress Mm. um, because we're not honouring our bodies. And it it is really tricky, but it's about kind of tuning out from the noise and the the demands and the feeling of obligation. And I think that COVID has really helped a lot of people to realise this, Mm. that maybe the pace of life that we were living was not sustainable. And I think a lot of people are struggling with the return to you know, post-lockdown life because they're like, while it was difficult, there were so many difficult aspects of it, slowing down has really helped in so many ways. And so I think that if we, I guess, can be a little bit gentle with each other and not expect as much as we did from each other, then maybe the pace as a collective can slow down a little bit and I think that we'll all be a little bit better off. Absolutely. I feel like I'm talking to myself right now. Like that's exactly the attitude that I have towards observations from COVID, but also that, yeah, I think the world has always, our physical bodies and our, you know, the pace of our life around us has until the last few decades evolved in sync, whereas suddenly technology has allowed this huge 
disruptive increase in speed, but our bodies haven't had a couple of years to even evolve, let alone the hundreds of years that it generally takes for brains to change. And I, I do think that is why there's so much particularly mental health issues in society because of our inability to cope with the influx of information, which is why the last section, Play TA, has become something that's so fundamental to me because the only way I cope is through having carving out time in my life that is for those activities that make you forget what time it is, that really sort of get you to you know unplug from the matrix and kind of just enjoy life for what it is. And But that also isn't rest because for someone who has had, you know, health kind of ups and downs, I find rest is a task. It's not necessarily relaxing and it's definitely not necessarily enjoyable because you're like, fucking hell, I just want to like do stuff. So how do you play? And I think particularly for mums who find that that's almost the category that they have the least time for, for you being a mum that also has, you know, a compromised immune system and that does have to think a lot about pacing yourself, what tips do you have for carving out some playtime? Oh yeah, it is really important. I think there's a really, I think it's really important to to create that divide between okay, this is when I'm working, mm. this is when I'm you know being a mum, this is when I'm having time for myself. Because I think that if we try and do all three at the same time, which a lot of us do, we end up not doing any of it very well. <laughs> um, I read a really good book actually called Overwhelmed by a woman named Bridget Schultz um, that I would recommend any mum. Um, in particular, who's feeling really overwhelmed, read it because it really does stress the importance of play. Mm. For me, I love reading and listening to audiobooks. So I love just to walk and listen to an audiobook. Generally, the trashier, the better. Not, yes. I'm not talking like chick lit. I'm not so much into that. I'm like into like the full on like sci-fi fantasy Ooh. weird ones. Like I'm reading a really good one by Nora Roberts called Year One and it's this sounds really weird about the a plague that hits Earth. Like I started reading it, listening to it at COVID. I'm onto the oh third my God. now. It's like zombie apocalypse kind of deal. But no, it's really good. So just being able to completely just uh, you know leave the real world and um, I don't know, just go somewhere else in my mind is one of my favorite things. I have so many little side hobbies that I absolutely love to do. Um, but at the moment, one of my favorite things is building, kind of recreating. What are they? things from movies for my son out of cardboard so oh that's the best (laughs) I made him like a massive rocket a little while ago like huge it was huge like it took up half the lounge room I made him some buzz wings some buzz light wings I made him a Maui hook the other day which he refuses to leave the house without oh Um, little sweetie I love doing things like that because I know that he gets a lot out of it but it also gives me um, a chance to kind of unleash my creativity so it's the win-win for everyone (laughs) for Um, sure I love that so much and it's so interesting to me that the most sort of well-adjusted people and usually the ones who have the least time for play the reason they can do all the things that they do is because they do make time for those activities. And there's always one. There's always something they do that's like sci-fi or something that's just so far away from their normal world that their brain's like, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, do you, I'm sure you agree that once you've done that, you find that your your brain is so much more open to ideas and it's flowing so much better. It's like it's like a med- it's form of meditation, I, re- I really feel. Absolutely. Because you're in the flow. Yeah, all my best ideas, even the idea for this podcast, have all come from either uh, like random gardening or something that I was doing that was so tactile and like unconnected or from a break, like a holiday. Like this, the idea for this was on the middle of a mountain, like Cradle Mountain in Tassie because I was just so liberated in my mind. I was like, it's going to be a podcast. I could just, I just in my mind envisioned you just doing the the wings. Yeah, my Buzz Lightyear like wings. The, yeah, there, yeah, beautiful. I loved that vision. Thank oh, you. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I'll do it again one day and send you a photo. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you'll need to do it on the anniversary of the, the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Well, I could talk to you for so long and I've been so gushy and like I'm usually so much more together, but I just I admire you so much, just have so much love for you and really feel like your story is something everyone needs to hear. Um, You're such a shining light. So thank you so, so much for joining. Just got two last little questions that usually bookend the potty, as you know. First thing is the three things that don't normally come up in conversation that are interesting about you. 
Any weird quirks other than your sci-fi thing because you already told me that? Um, I am a really great dumpling maker. Oh, that's amazing. It's my little thing, like I do these uh, Zalong Bao. They take two days to make and they're just like so epic. Good. So I'm pretty good at at making dumplings. That's so good. I'm Asian and I don't even know how to make Xiaolong Bao. We have to come round. I'll give you a little chew. I will. We can do like a video tutorial for everyone listening. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, what else? I love bushwalking. Nice. It's one of my favourite things to do. I also... Always the third one that's a bit hard. Any like party tricks or pet peeves or? I have a party trick. <laughs> it's been so long since I went to a party. I'm like, I wouldn't even know what I do at parties. That is so true. Um, oh, and I can speak Italian. There you go. Parla italiano. Amazing. And very last question, since I love quotes so much, what is your favourite quote? So far you have overcome every bad day that you've had you've got a hundred percent success rate that is so good I know that that's not exactly how it was quoted but <laughs> every day that I'm having a really bad day I go you know what you survived every bad day that you thought you couldn't 100% success rate you're doing pretty bloody well oh my gosh I literally don't believe that there is anything that you couldn't do now like I truly don't believe that there is a barrier to you achieving anything Oh, them's fighting words, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. But just put it out send there. Send me a list. Yeah. Send me a list and I'll let you know, okay? I'll put and a little Dito's wish list. <laughs> oh, my God. I just thank you so much. I absolutely adore you. You are so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to. Oh, look, the feeling's mutual, babe. I have loved you. I just can't believe that we live in different states. I mean, it's rude, right? It's really rude. I know. It's really annoying. But so, maybe it'd be too much if we were together. We wouldn't let our health, like, be okay because we'd just be doing the things all the time. That's true. Well, I'm sending love from Sydney, and um, next time I'm in town, go and have a little matcha. Right back at you, gal. With our little oracles in, we'll just be like, "Look, we got new yeah. piercings. They're matching." <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I so often find myself without words to really do justice to our guests at the end of each episode. I mean, what can you really say to adequately express what you feel for someone like Elle? <laughs> I hope you're all as inspired and moved as I always am by her. And if you enjoyed, please do share and tag her at Elle Halliwell and myself so we know what you thought and so we know who's listening along. Another thing I've noticed more than usual, actually, during COVID-19 is that so many of us take time to leave feedback for others when things have gone wrong or things have gone awry, but we don't so often take the time when something has gone smoothly or gone really well or we're really happy with an experience. It's such a strange quirk and I'm absolutely guilty of it too, but especially during these trying times, I've been really making an effort to more actively take a moment to leave a positive review for other podcasts, artists and fellow small businesses. So if you're enjoying or you have ever enjoyed the show, I'd be so grateful if you'd take a moment to leave us a rating or a review on the Apple Podcast app. It means the absolute world to hear from the neighborhood and nothing is more exciting than to hear how something has impacted you or your journey and also to be able to share that back with the community as well. In the meantime, next week we have another ripper episode coming your way. It could just be the episode I've laughed the most during. It was so entertaining. So make sure you've subscribed so you get it as soon as it's dropped. I hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.